This is the Books and Authors Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast with your hosts, Scott Walker and Jamie Davis, episode 197. Hi, I'm one of your hosts, Jamie Davis, author of Fun Fantasy and Sci-Fi Reads. I am here with my co-host, urban and cozy fantasy author, Scott Walker. Uh, Scott, you know, we've just been banging out some episodes here recently, just trying to get some stuff in before the end of the year. And we've got some great episodes that we've done and some more coming, uh, especially this one. I'm really looking forward to that. Me too. Me too. I, it's been wild. Uh, I can't believe we've been doing this for a year. It's, it's exciting that we've been doing this for a year. And I'm so <laughs> thankful that you agreed to come on as co-host. Um, it, it spurred me on to restart the podcast again, and I've had so much fun doing it. We have. We have met so many awesome new authors. And, and even, even for the ones that we knew who were already in our author network, um, being able to sit down for a half hour, focused, uninterrupted, learned so much new information about them that we didn't know before. And it was, it's awesome. So it, it, it is a true joy to do this with you. Thank you for inviting me to sit in the co-host seat. So we last, when last we met, your wife was going to remake Thanksgiving dinner. That was the plan. Did it happen? Oh my God. Yes. Yes. Oh, it was everything I dreamed it could be, Jamie. I have come up with what I think uh, is the best reconstructed leftovers trademark sandwich and I was able to do it thanks to my amazing wife, who, because my sister-in-law had no leftovers from our Thanksgiving dinner, my wife decided to make an entire Thanksgiving dinner meal feast, a smaller turkey, obviously, um, but was able to do it all over again last week. And so I was able to finally try a leftover turkey sandwich with gravy and stuffing on my homemade sourdough bread. And it was everything I dreamed it could be. <laughs> It looked amazing. I mean, you sent the picture and then tagged me in it, which was hilarious. <laughs> I was like, what's there a sandwich with my name on it? I, and I, I knew you were invested, my friend. <laughs> I was invested and it looked, it looked amazing. I mean, and, and I wasn't the only one who thought that, I mean, the comments on the post were <laughs> off the charts. I mean, people were like, Oh my God, that looks delicious. It was, um, I can't wait to do it again next year. Um, what about you, my friend? What have you been doing? You've got Lone Wolf Squadron. That series is just rocking and rolling. You're on fire yeah, with that. Yeah. You book seven, other stuff, some book other seven rolls fire. out. What's going on? Yeah. Book seven rolls out right after Christmas, um, on the 28th. So that's coming up. I've been starting to like do teasers, um, with some like quotes from the book and stuff like that, that I'm putting out. Uh, so that's fun and I'm excited. I'm actually rolling into the end of book eight in Lone Wolf Squadron, um, which is called Cluster Command, um, which I think has a lot of double entendre meetings there because it's a lot going on in this book. Um, but the seventh book in the series, a lot of people are waiting for it. And I, it's a couple people were like, Oh, we're so sad. It's the last book. I'm like, it's not the last book. I'm writing book eight right now. And they were like, Oh my gosh, you just made my whole day. So when you have a reaction like that from a reader, it really is exciting to like that. They're so, they were sad. It was ending and you tell them it's not ending and they get excited again. So that's, that was kind of a cool reaction. That's, uh, that's, that's like a home run for an author. Are you kidding me? I, I have had one or two people, uh, be sad when the last book in Little Yokai was published. I'm like, I'm I'm really sorry. Like this is the end. Like it, the long arc clearly came to an end in book six. Like the the, the big question that that the main character is facing that all got resolved. I'm like, I, like could I 
could I come up with a new, a new direction for her to go? I could, but I felt like it was a really good ending and a good parting farewell for, for her and, and Keiko and everybody else that we'd met there. Um, but I get, I get that. It's, it's so, it's so awesome when somebody's like, you can't possibly be done. I need more. I need more. So I'm curious, you know, we've got, um, the Christmas holidays and the other winter holidays coming up. Um, you know, what, uh, what do you do in your family for that time of year? I would typically hang out with my wife's extended family. They get, they do not a formal family reunion, but they often kind of congregate, uh, around the holidays. So we'll do that this year. And, uh, you know, my oldest is home from college. So we, but we've got all of the kids back under one roof now. And last night we did a, uh, a fireside viewing of the Charlie Brown Christmas special. Uh, so we got everybody together. Uh, my wife made an amazing dinner and we went into the family room. We sat down started a fire and watched this, this episode. Now, are the kids enjoying it the way you and I enjoy it? No, but that's okay. Like it, the, the holidays for me officially kicked off this week. So I'm very excited about that. How about you? How about you? Uh, we've got a lot going on. Um, just trying to pull some family things together. I mean, we go and we do Christmas Eve with my family and my mom and we do uh, Christmas day evening with my uh, wife's family. And then Christmas morning up till about two in the afternoon is, is just family at home time. So I think it, this year it'll be um, my wife and our two daughters, our son, of course, is married and has his own kid. So they, they do their own Christmas morning routine. But um, we're excited to just kind of get everybody together again for a variety of different reasons. Yeah, because you've got grandkids, man. Yeah, I have, I have one grandson and he is he's we've we've got a boatload of toys, things that make no <laughs> things that make a lot of noise that are going back to his house that I think his, his my daughter-in-law is going to just love that. <laughs> Batteries not included. Oh no, we included the batteries. That's no fun. <laughs> well, that's what, as grandparents, that's what you're supposed to do. Oh yeah, yeah. We spoil them rotten, but that was fun. We we, we actually took him um, the cafe where I write. So if people follow me um, on Facebook, they'll see that I post pictures from me writing in the cafe every morning. And the cafe where I write did a um, cookie decorating hot chocolate day for kids and you could make a reservation and show up. So we, my wife and I took him to that and he's four years old and he walked inside and he just looked around and it was all decorated for Christmas. There was a Santa sitting over right being ready to take pictures on the one side. There were people just handing out little cups of hot chocolate, perfectly cooled down for kids so that they could drink it right away. Um, cookie decorating at another table. We were making reindeer food and somewhere else. And at one point he turns around to me and he goes, Obi, I just love hot chocolate world. <laughs> and it's like he named the he named he named the place. He didn't know the name of it, but he gave it a name, Hot Chocolate World. So now I want to go to Hot Chocolate World. I know, right? <laughs> so that's been our time. It's been a good it's been a good time this year. Yeah, I saw the pictures of that on Facebook. It's it looked like it was an awesome time. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Well, that's listen, great. I, I want to get into this week's episode because we've got Rebecca Buchanan coming back on the show to talk about her individual projects aside from Cozy Vales. And I'm really excited to get into that. She's written some very different genres and even different types of writing. Um, why don't you introduce her for us? Yeah, yeah. So uh, Rebecca Buchanan is the editor of the long-running pagan literary e-zine, Eternal Haunted Summer. She is also a regular contributor to Evoke, Witchcraft, Paganism, Lifestyle. 
For fairy tales and fantasy, horror, mystery, romance, and sci-fi stories have been published in a wide variety of venues, and her third poetry collection is due in 2024. So yes, she is all over the map. This is going to be an amazing interview. Looking forward to learning more about her and her non-Cozy Vales writing. Let's get into it. Hi, Rebecca. I guess I should say welcome back to the show. Um, it's good to have you here and, and talking about something a little different this time. How are you? Thank you very much. Thank you for having me again. I am good. It is bright and early here, too, but I'm awake. I've had my Nutella and my toast, and I am good to go. Awesome. Ooh, Nutella and toast. Like that. Yeah, that's <laughs> nice. Um, anyway, I would like to ask you to just reintroduce yourself briefly because folks might not have listened to the recent episode about the Cozy Vales Anthology. So why don't you do that real quick? Sure. I am Rebecca Buchanan. I am the editor of an easing called Eternal Haunted Summer that is now going on its 14th year. I have published a number of short stories and poems. I've got two poetry collections out and four short story collections. And I just started launching my novella series. So I have a couple of novellas out now, too. Holy moly. Okay, we have a lot to talk about. Um, clearly, I've been looking over your writings and the genres that you've been playing in, and you publish books in a variety of forms and genres. Let's start, though, because the sense that I'm getting is that uh, all this kind of began with poetry. I'd like to figure out if I'm my guess is correct. So how did you start writing poetry? Was that your first effort at writing? And how long have you been writing poetry? Poetry was my second effort at writing, but it was the more serious one because I grew up reading prose. I grew up reading sci-fi and fantasy, so that was very easy for me to start writing. I did not read poetry when I was younger. We didn't really get exposed to it much in school. So when I decided to start writing poetry, that was my serious writing. That's where I deal with you know, social issues and politics and all that kind of stuff is in my poetry. And my prose is just, yeah, it's more fun. You know, I, I am in awe of poets. Um you know, I, I can I can rhyme a pun sometimes, but other than that, I, I just I'm in I'm in awe of people that write in verse, and you've been doing that for a while. And in fact, you actually have a regular anthology of poetry that you've been doing since um, 2010. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, the Eternal Haunted Summer. Or, yep, that one. Yeah, that is an easing. Uh, I've featured some of my own work in that, but it's mostly to feature other poets and uh, prose writers and give them a chance for exposure. I can't pay very much because it's all out of pocket. It's $5. But it gives me a chance to explore other, other people's works and give them a chance to say, hey, here I am. Read my stuff. What's it like organizing something like that, putting together a collection with different, different poets of you know, different backgrounds? Uh, most of the year it's perfectly calm. I only have a one month submission window before the, the new issue goes up. So that month is absolutely frantic. I have to read all the submissions and then I have like 10 or 20 days before the new issue goes up to find, make my final decisions. Yes or no. And, uh, the newest issue, the one that's going up on the solstice is a horror themed issue. And I got more submissions for this one than I did for any of the others. So I've been plowing through the submissions, trying to figure out which of all this great stuff I actually want to feature because I can't afford to feature all of it. And I have to get rid of some things that are actually really good. And I hate doing that as an editor. I hate turning down good stuff, but I do it anyway. I force myself to go through and I just pick the stuff I really, really like. And I post that on Eternal Haunted Summer. Yeah, we had Courtney Bryant on not too long ago. And she's also overseeing anthologies. And she was talking about that process of going through um, all the submissions and trying to decide 
when in some cases you can almost flip a coin. You got two entries that are really, really good. Like, and you, you have to decide cause you've only got so much space for the uh-huh. books. Um, okay. So clearly my guess was wrong. Poetry was not your first venture into writing. What was your first venture into writing? Uh, as I recall, it was a short story in an easing called uh, Luna Station Quarterly. That was the first paid story I ever had. Um, I'm completely blanking what the title was at the moment because it was like 15 years ago. But that was the first paid one that I got. And after that, I was kind of hooked. I was like, oh, I can actually get paid for this. This is awesome. So I just started writing fairly regularly and just keep sending sending submissions out and getting lots of rejections and sending more submissions out and just kept doing that. Awesome. What's that process like? you know, from a, from a skills standpoint of developing your voice and, um, you know, really the, the, the mastery of writing itself. Um, did you see your, your writing change as you went through the process of submitting all those things? I did. Um, like I said, I grew up reading a lot of sci-fi and fantasy. So that was what I started writing. It was what I was most familiar with. And in the case of fantasy, it required the least amount of research so I could turn out a story fairly quickly. I'm like, say, sci-fi or historical fiction. And I did see my writing evolve. It was as I got older, my characters started to get older. And I also started to write this kind of stories that I wanted to read and I couldn't find anyplace else. So I started writing those. So then, but you clearly spread out over different genres because, you know, we've we've got your bio, which we just read, and you've done a lot of stuff. So is that something where you, you, you're the kind of writer who just constantly likes to play in different spaces or are you, I'm going to go down sci-fi and then you know what, that's done. And you close the door in that genre and never go back. If you kind of rotate through, through those genres, how, how did, how did that come about? Because I just hopped into my second genre, but I've been writing for seriously for a couple of years now, but off and on for decades. So mm-hmm. uh, for me, for the, the idea for me to jump into a different genre is like, oh, that's a big deal for me. That's a very big deal. So I'm curious how you handled that or how that evolved over time. I like jumping around, but it didn't start out that way. It was because I started meeting new editors and other writers in these other genres, and they were putting together anthologies or easings, and they would put out submission calls, and I would be like, ooh, this sounds interesting. I wonder if I can actually do that. Like The Adventure of the Fairy Coffin. I had never written a Sherlock Holmes story before, but I knew the editor, and I really liked his work. I thought, hey, you know what? I want to be in this table of contents. So I wrote a Sherlock Holmes story. Uh, yeah, awesome. and we are definitely going to talk about that book. That book, by the way, just literally published the day we're recording this. Uh, it is now available for sale. So, and I'm very excited about talking about that, but we're going we're to get to that in just a second. We've got some other cool stuff to talk about. Um, so uh, go, going back to Jamie's point, poetry, I, you, I couldn't write my way out of a paper bag if you forced me to go into, you know, sonnet form. Um, how is that different for you than prose? And do you have a preference or does one flow easier? Is one more difficult? How does that work for you creatively? It really depends on what I'm trying to write. There are some cases I'll get an idea and I'll think, oh, this is an interesting poem. And I'll start to write it and realize, no, this is going to be a 40,000 word novella. And I'll have to stop and start all over again. Or it's the opposite. I think it's going to be a long story. And I realize that, no, if I pare it down to the actual core of what I'm trying to say, it's 40 lines of poetry. It depends on what it is. Um, I have problems with what might be considered the classic forms of poetry. I have never written a sonnet. I'm not sure I ever could write a sonnet because poetry is much, much, much more disciplined than prose is. They're very particular forms and you have to follow the rules for those forms. I write a lot of free verse because of that. I just 
right on the page and I see how many beats there are per line. And if it looks like a poem, it's a poem. Um, in other cases, I do follow the, the rules for that form and see how it comes out. And in some cases, it's good. And in some cases, it's absolutely terrible. So I'm going to jump in real quick. And Jamie had a question, but I'm going to jump ahead of him. Uh, it sounds to me like you're the kind of writer who follows the shape of the story as opposed to forcing the story into the shape that's maybe predetermined. Is mm-hmm. that fair? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, Jamie, go for it. No, I'm just, I'm fascinated with this whole discussion because, you know, it, it's it's really the purest form of an author following their muse that I've ever heard of. Um, I, I mean, really, I mean, to, to start writing a poem and end up with a novelette or, you know, start writing an, an, a full-length novel and end up with a, a, a brief poem. And it, it is... It is interesting to see how different all our minds work. I, I people have often asked me how to, how do you write books and what's what's the advice you'd give me? And I'd be like, you know, for every writer, there's a different way to write. Mm-hmm. I, I think we all come at it a different way, and you're a perfect example of that. Um, how do you relate that experience of what you do to talking with other writers when you're putting together anthologies or submitting to anthologies? My advice is I tell them to start with a drabble, write a story of exactly 100 words. And if the core of your story, if the foundation is intact, if it can stand by itself as this 100-word story, beginning, middle, and end, and it's coherent, then you know that the seed of your story is good and you can just expand out from there. If you can't tell the story in those 100 words, it's not going to work. You've got to figure out and go back and figure out what actually is the heart of your story. It's interesting. I like that approach because it's forcing you to to make sure you've got that core nailed down. Now, I also know there are several discovery writers who would not be um, pleased if they were forced to write in that format or in that style. Uh, but which goes back to Jamie's point: is it's it's a mountain with infinite number of paths to the top, mm-hmm. uh, to yep. the top there. Um, before we kind of close out your poetry um, portion and move on to the next book. Uh, is there is there anything that you any advice that you would give to someone writing specifically in poetry? Other than reading the classics, which is always the advice that's being given, and reading the greats, um, find a genre of poetry that you like. I really like speculative poetry. I really like writing retold fairy tales and retold ballads and stories about fake queens and things like that. So, if you have a prose genre that you really like, try writing poetry in that and see what happens. Very cool. Very cool. So you, I, we're going to go back and look at one of your recent books. I know the urban fantasy novelette is the the Geek Witch and the Treacherous Tome of Deadly Danger, which, by the way, the title itself is a story. And I, mm-hmm. I, I just I love that the way that sets up what my expectations might be. Um, now the the main character is a witch who plays tabletop games, RPGs. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. it, uh, it sounds interesting. Scott made a note in his comments here that it was somebody he'd hang out with. So I'm curious. I know we're mixing up the questions here a little bit, Scott, but I've been dying to hear the answer to this one. <laughs> um, what, where did this character come from? And is this something, a reflection of you yourself or somebody you'd want to hang out with? I mean, which is it? Oh, this definitely started as a Mary Sue story. This was me imagining what would happen if I owned a game and comic book store. And it was a middle-aged woman and a witch, which I basically am. But yes, this this was this was a Mary Sue story that evolved from there. And I could see what this character 
would become as I was writing the story and what, what how she would react and what she would do in this particular situation. And I just had a lot of fun with it. Okay, so what what's the synopsis for readers who aren't familiar with this title? What, what's the synopsis, the blurb? What can they expect to find in this book? Uh, so the synopsis is that Ermintrude Wainwright, who is the main character, is the geek witch. She owns the most popular game and comic book store in town, and she buys stuff off her patrons. She buys, you know, used comics, used game guides, and one of her regular patrons bring in, brings in a cursed game guide that is illegal to own because it was used to destroy the city of Chicago. And she suddenly has one, and she doesn't want it, and she has to figure out how to get rid of it safely without ending up on the Fed's radar, and it all goes downhill from there. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, that is awesome. Okay. Uh, cursed game guide. I mean, it's just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the concept itself is awesome. Okay, sir. Ermintrude, what, tell us about her. How did she get to be where she is when we find her in the beginning of the story? Uh, Ermintrude uh, is a witch, and she's also the owner of this game store, and she is running her, her weekly game session with her favorite gamers. And her son is off somewhere and she thinks about how much she misses him and how much she wishes he was here to play, continue playing games with her. But he's gone off to have an actual career, unlike her, who gets to spend her all of her time doing fun things. And then the game, the cursed game guide comes into the situation. That's very, very cool. I love that. Okay, that that's now going to the top of my TBR. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's I, I'm just so curious about where that goes. Um so let's get into your latest release, which is exciting that you've got this coming out, and I'm, I'm excited to hear more about it. The Adventure of the Fairy Coffin being the first Morstan and Holmes occult collection. And um, just based on what we've seen so far in the cover and stuff, I, it's, a, it's a period piece. What, how would you describe it? Is it the first in a series? Where, where does it fall in, in your collection of work? I would describe it as a gas lamp fantasy mystery. It's a what if story. It's got Sherlock Holmes as one of the characters, but the main character is Mary Morstan, who in the original Sherlock Holmes stories was John Watson's fiance and eventual wife. And in my story, she's actually also a witch, but she's a secret witch because magic is illegal. It's outlawed and nobody really believes in it anymore. But she's a witch and she is going off to help solve a mystery at her old school. And Sherlock Holmes decides to tag along whether she wants him or not. So definitely a theme of witches running through your, your stories. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, What was the inspiration for this? Where did this idea come from? This is another case of me hearing a call for submissions from one of my favorite editors. Uh, his name is John Linwood, Linwood Grant, and he did a book for Bellinger Books called Sherlock Holmes and the Occult Detectives. And they were looking for stories that had Holmes, but also had some kind of paranormal element. The, they wanted a second detective in the story to pair up with him. And that detect, detective could either be an established character from the classical period, like John Silence or somebody like that, somebody in public domain, or you could invent your own detective to go with him. And I decided to invent my own, so I went with Mary Morstan. Sweet. Sweet. Okay, so occult's a pretty big spectrum. Are we talking Cthulhu horror? Are we talking lighter? Like, what's... Uh, that's a good question because people tend to classify who read this stuff tend to classify Cthulhu type stuff as weird fiction and occult detective is like right next to it if you're on the spectrum of genres so it, there's a lot of crossover between the two sometimes the occult detective is looking at Cthulhu stuff and sometimes it's just ghosts and sometimes it's something else completely different do you see yourself writing a lot in this with these characters with with Mary Morstan and and Holmes uh, because it says the first I'm assuming it's part of a series. I had planned to write a series of short stories and then got sidetracked by other stuff and then as soon as I 
pass this around to my beta readers like, oh, where's the next one? I was like, oh, there isn't a next one. So now I have to go back and start doing the series again. So yes, there will be more, but it'll probably be late this year or next year before the second one comes out. All those pesky readers and demands. Mm-hmm. You've got, um, so go ahead. No, go for it, Jamie. No, I was just going to jump in and, and the, you've got you know, your backlist of books, um, your poetry, uh, everything that you've done is, is pretty impressive. Um, when you are switching though, you've got multiple genres, multiple styles of writing. Is it difficult for you to switch back and forth? Do you finish one thing before moving on to the next thing? No, my writing is just like my reading. I tend to jump around between projects. It depends on my inspiration, the amount of time I have to actually write and what the deadlines are. Um, like for the Cozy Veils anthology that I worked on Scott with, I actually had a gap of time in August. So I wrote my short story really quick in August and then submitted it for review for the Cozy Veils anthology and then went back to the project I had already been working on and then stopped working on that to work on something else because I was inspired suddenly to write this great novella that I had in my head. So now I'm working on that too, as well as a couple other short stories. So it's, I, my head is all over the place. I, it, clearly it's working though. Can't argue with the process. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, no, I, I, I was just going to say that that is like we said, different writers, different themes. <laughs> I, I could not do that. I, in fact, once I switched between genres right back to back without doing anything in between to kind of clear my head. And I wrote a completely off genre version of an urban fantasy story that my beta readers immediately canned because they were Aww. like, what the heck, what the heck is this? This is like young adult dystopian angst. We don't want that. We, and I went, well, that's cause that's the last thing I wrote before I wrote this. And I just carried the mood right on into the next book. So I, I, I know that that's just, that's just impressive to me that you're able to shift gears like that. It can be a little frustrating sometimes too, because I'll want to finish something and I can't because there's a deadline coming up for something else or because I only have two days to write something. So I have to put out this short story really fast and I wanted to be working on this longer project instead. So sometimes the jumping isn't something I want to do. So uh, speaking of, of forms, going back to that real quick, um, you know, you talk about the, the latest book, novelettes and poetry um, you, you tend to skew towards the shorter form of fiction. Is, is that intentional? Is that just kind of how the story shape takes takes form for you? Is that, is that do you have aspirations to write longer form? Uh, I started out trying to write longer forms when I first started writing, you know, 15 or 20 years ago. I was like, ooh, I have to write this big epic fantasy that's 3,000 words or 3,000 pages long because that's what everybody's doing and that's what real writing is. And then I realized I do not have the brain power or the time to write these big epic fantasies. So I started switching to shorter forms. I started doing short stories and novelettes and realized I have the time to do this and my stories are actually that length anyway. So that's what I'm going with. Yeah, It. so it's interesting because the... I was struggling to finish a novel and then I was struggling to finish a novel that I liked. And I realized early on in my career that I was really trying to do too much too fast. And then mm-hmm. I, I just, I didn't have, I, I had, I wanted to jump into the Olympics without even trying to, to practice and, and, and really do the endurance that I needed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and as soon as I began writing flash fiction, I realized I could come up with a concept. I could write it. I could edit it. And in less than two hours, I have a finished work, uh-huh. not a great work, but one I was comfortable sharing with the public and writing a flash fiction a day for over three months 
I was beginning to build that writing muscle that I really needed and didn't know I was missing. And mm -hmm. so I worked my way up to um, eventually writing an actual novel that I thought was salvageable and was worth editing. And that for me, that was the tipping point. I, I For years, I'd struggled to like, even though I plotted, even though I planned everything out, did my world building, did my research, something about trying to write a full novel out of the gate uh, was a struggle for me. And the flash fiction um, project I did back in 2015, I'm just going to write one a day. I don't know what the genre is. I don't know if it's going to be exactly a thousand words, more, whatever. That mm -hmm. was the flashpoint for me. And it really opened the door for me to be able to move on to larger pieces where I couldn't just finish it in one day, much less a few hours. So that's that's interesting. I totally, totally um, get exactly where you're coming from. Yeah, I hear that from a lot of writers when they first start out. They say they make the same mistake I did. They think they need to write this really long thing in order to be considered a real writer, and you don't, and you probably can't anyway. So just start smaller. Start with something manageable. That makes so much sense. The first, the, my first book is really a collection of vignettes um, that um, about a supernatural paramedic, and it's just the collection of his ambulance calls back to back to back to back that I then wrote a story in between the, the chapters where he's on ambulance calls and, you know, became, became a whole series eventually. But it was originally just a collection of ideas for different patients, different medical conditions, different problems. And mm -hmm. um, so I, I, that makes so much sense to me because I think that's probably what I did by accident without realizing what I was, that it was, you know, really flash fiction and, and short form storytelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, two of my favorite authors, uh, Blaze Ward and Leah Cutter, who are actually a husband and a wife, both have separate writing careers, and they do that a lot with their works. They also write longer stuff, but they also has lo have lots of short story collections, and I really like those. It's an overlooked form. You know, one of the things uh, Courtney Bryant mentioned on the last episode we had with her was that short stories traditionally have been the gateway for, for authors who be went on to become amazing voices in their genres. And that ability, the, the number of anthologies and short collections being published, almost non-existent. And, you know, to go back to our earlier point about jumping from zero into a full novel, uh, short stories are an awesome on-ramp for authors who are just getting started. They, they can explore their voice in a very shorter, short period of time in a shorter piece. It's much more manageable to your point, Rebecca. And um, I, I love the fact that, that we're coming across authors like you and like Courtney who are actively supporting those on-ramps and providing those on-ramps to new authors because of your efforts, because of you opening the opportunities for these um, short pieces of fiction to make it into the world in the collection. So good on you for that. Good, good for you for um, paying it forward and supporting the, the newer voices out there. Thank you. And I, I do like reading the new stuff too. I like discovering new writers. Well, so do we. <laughs> while we're talking about so shorts, <laughs> yeah, really, I mean, that's why we do the show, honestly. Um, finding new writers and books and stories for us, but also by default for the listeners of the show who are readers. And, you know, we, we want to spread the word about those things. And we had just chatted with you and Cassandra Sterling and Scott about um, the Cozy Vales project, uh, Winter Tales from Cozy Vales uh, anthology. Um, that was a couple weeks ago. Um, that's been out for in a couple of weeks now, um, and you contributed a short story. Have you gotten any reception? Have you heard anything back from readers about that? 
I've gotten feedback from one person on my story in particular. Their response to the anthology as a whole has been very, very good. Uh, Five-star ratings, lots of downloads. My particular story did get one comment, which was it reminded the reader of The Wind and the Willows, which is like one of the highest compliments I could possibly get. And it hadn't even occurred to me that it might read like that. So that's very cool. Wait, you did you you didn't make that connection? No, I did not make oh that connection. Oh my gosh, because I read it, I was like, oh, I know exactly what she's going for. Again, again, clearly I'm not guessing well this morning. Okay, all right. No, it's it that that fascinates me too, is the things that we'll write and then somebody will come up and say, Hey, it reminded me of this. And we were like, Really? It did? I didn't see that at all. It's so it's really interesting to me how readers read our stuff as opposed to how we read it while we're writing it. Agreed. Well, and it's our brain, you know, I'm I'm a discovery writer in, in, a, in a big way. Um, I, I, I plot out very loosely what's going on, but usually by the middle of the book, something has derailed. You know, some character has changed something or something new has inserted itself into the story. And, and I've come to, you know, 50 some odd books in just, mm. I just believe in my subconscious. I, I believe mm. in that hidden story inside of myself that something's going to happen that's going to carry, that's going to connect all the pieces together by the end. It happens every time. I don't know what happens. I don't know how it happens, but people seem to like what I'm doing. So I'm not going to change that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. There's a, there's that leap of faith into the darkness and you just got to trust that somehow you'll figure it out that you'll find that you'll, you'll find the other side across the ravine. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's yeah. that that's another interesting thing about the writing process is the difference between the pansters and the plotters and how I, I really don't think there is a firm divide between the two. I think we're combinations of those. And I think people who try to stick to one particular form, like plotting, are going to bog themselves down and not really be able to get started or even finish their project because they're going to be focused on having it all plotted out exactly the way it's going to go. And as they're writing, they'll find out, actually, no, it's not going to go that way because this character is going to sabotage your story. Yeah, that's that's pro- that's fair because I mean, I, even though I'm I'm a I mean I'm a hardcore plotter. I've done ten, sometimes eighteen thousand word outlines mm-hmm. um, before for a sixty thousand word novel. I mean, I, I sometimes I go overboard, and even then, to Jamie's point, I'll hit a point like, ah, you know what? This there's there's a way to make this better. There's mm-hmm. there's a new idea that I have, and it and it's an idea that will make the book a better experience overall. So I end up changing it, even though I've got this really detailed map to follow at some point I, and I'll take a little detour. I don't tear up the map. Yeah. I find my way back <laughs> to the main course, <laughs> but I do end up taking detours. Well, and, um, and and you're right. I mean, I have a beginning and an ending. I always know where, where it's going, but I think it's the journey to get there. That's different for me every time. And you know, Scott, it sounds to me like, you know, if it snuck up on you, then it's going to sneak up on the reader too. And that's a good thing. Totally. Totally. Say, Rebecca, what, what do you have plans for 2024? You said, okay, I'm going to write a sequel now, apparently to the adventure of the fairy coffin. Um, What can readers expect from you next year? So the next novella, the one I'm working on right now, and which is almost done is called Malkin, a case of magic espionage and two curious cats. And that is sort of an alternate World War II with magic and spies. And the main character is a woman who can shapeshift into a cat. But it's a secret. She hasn't told anybody. That'll be out probably end of February, early March. Um, I have plans for another Cozy Vale's tale, which I think is going to be about a queen scout. He's going to be running around the kingdom, solving mysteries and helping people. And he's going to be a centaur character, which I have never written before. So that should be cool. 
Uh, what else do I have planned? Oh, another poetry collection and uh, probably one more novella, but I need to figure out which in my list of novellas I actually want to write next. Well, I'm just going to say it on behalf of all the Bard Toad fans out there. I you you have to you have to write another story. You can't you cannot leave all those beloved characters in that floating island Vale uh, for too long. We 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 want we want a sequel. We want to go back there. All right, I will another I will write another Skypress Vale story too. Thank you, thank you. Um, all right, so just to recap, Adventure of the Fairy Coffin is now out and available. Um, where can readers find it? And is it an ebook, paperback, both? It's short enough that it's ebook only. It's a little over 12,000 words, and it's on sale for 99 cents at all the major retailers. Uh, you can either go to your favorite retailer like Amazon or Barnes & Noble, or you can go to Eternal Haunted Summer where I have the universal book link for it. Fantastic. And then same thing for Geek Witch, correct? Yep, absolutely. Fantastic. All right. Where can readers find you? Is, is Eternal Haunted... I'm sorry. Let me get this right. EternalHauntedSummer.com. Is that the best place for readers to find you online? Yep, that's the easy and I edit as well as my personal author page. Perfect. Awesome. Right. Are we going to do the rapid fire pleasure. questions? Well, we're not done yet. <laughs> yeah. I thought we were wrapping up, but no, we have one more section to do. The the rapid fire question round, which I've been waiting for because it's my favorite part of the whole show. Um, so you've done this before. We're going we're gonna to hit a portion where we have no wrong answers. Five rapid fire questions, faster questions, faster answers are the better. So we're just going to jump right in. Are you ready to go? Okay, let's go. All right. The perfect ice cream topping is? Chocolate syrup. Do you prefer writing with music in the background or having complete silence? Oh, music, definitely. My idea of a perfect Sunday morning is? Sitting at my computer writing in my comfy bathroom with a hot mug of tea. Nice. An unpopular movie you feel is underrated. Oh, I'm going to admit here, I think it's Eon Flux, the Charlize Theron movie that everybody absolutely hated. I loved it. Nice. Nice. I, I approve. Um, favorite color? Blue. Blue. Awesome. Well done. Well done. Thank you for joining us this early uh, on this. Well, it's it's early for us. I don't know when <clears throat> listeners are listening to the episode. It's early for us. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me back. It was a lot of fun. Always. And we'll have you back next year because it sounds like you've got more stuff coming down the pike for readers. Yep, absolutely. Well, that was a total blast talking to Rebecca. And I am so looking forward to getting my hands on that occult um, Sherlock Holmes story that she wrote um, I forget the name of it now. We just talked to her about it, but I, I'm, I, it, it sounds so interesting and I love Sherlock Holmes stories. So I can't wait to see where she goes with that. Yeah. The, the, well, between uh, the geek, Witch book that just dropped in October with the RPG playing person, Ermin Trude organizing convention, like that a awesome. And then the adventure of the fairy coffin, which is now available, just launched. Um, yeah. It's, it's super cool. She's got some really, really creative concepts for her stories. And I can't wait to dive into these. Yeah. And we'll have links to everything we talked about with Rebecca, including the actual titles, because I forget things like that. And um, the links to everything will be in the show notes for this episode. Go over to jamiedavisbooks.com. You'll see a link at the top for podcasts, or if you're on your phone, the drop down menu for podcasts, and you can go right to that episode and listen to it right away. And of course, you can also subscribe. So I hope people will do that. Um, Scott, why don't you uh, share with listeners how they can get in touch with you in the meantime and follow what you're doing? 
you know, it just got a little more complicated after Cozy Bales came out. I used to say, go to scottiswriting.com. That's my website. And my social media handles were Scott is Writing. But now I have a pen name. And now I'm writing under the name of L.A. Scott. And that's exclusively for my Cozy Vales stories. So I need to tell people to also go to CozyVales.com. That's V-A-L-E-S.com. How about you, my friend? Well, I, I, things are getting complicated for me too, but I'll talk more about that in the next episode. What? Um, no, you can't. No, 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 you can't no. no. Let's tease them a little bit, right? No. Okay. Well, I, no, I've got, I've got a new community I'm starting that's going to be called um, Jamie's Fun Fantasy Family. And I'll have links to how to get to that coming up here soon. It's free to follow. Um, there is an opportunity if you want to share some, some of some um, extra for paying for my hot chocolate addiction or whatever. You can do that. Um, but it's all um, going to be uh, available. I'll have a link for everybody in the next episode. But in the meantime, go to find me at jamiedavisbooks.com. Um, and, of course, my Fun Fantasy Readers Facebook group as well. And uh, check out the podcast, definitely, for our other episodes. There's a lot of great authors and great books to find there. Until next time, I'm Jamie Davis. And I'm Scott Walker. And we are asking you to keep on reading and keep listening here to the Books and Authors Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast.